So we keep on keeping on. Hey, little humans. I'm Norma Jean, and this is Stay Wild, the podcast about how to keep your quirks in the wondrous world. Welcome to episode two, where we're talking to Emily McBurney, who's a yoga teacher, world traveler, journalist, mom, living here in Bali. She moved over with her family about a year ago. She's going to go into her journey of yoga, talk a little bit about that, uh, different styles of yoga, and then after the break, she'll offer a meditation and some things that we can all do to bring more presence in our life, like turning off our phones in the morning. Um, I hope you enjoy the show. Today's episode is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. You can hear all my music and see all my cartoons at njloves.com. We're coming at you from the rice field, so there is a couple of moments where there's barking dogs or motorbikes, but I hope it really brings you to Bali here with us. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, and write us a review if it resonates. It would really help. Until then, I hope you stay wild and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we're talking with Emily McBurney, who is a yogi, former newscaster, world traveler, amazing human being. Um, So, Emily, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Hi. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. I live in Ubud, Bali. I moved here last year in August after having a meditation in an ashram in Toronto, where I was living for a decade. And it just kept coming up to move to Bali. So I went home that day, had a husband and two small children. And I went home and said, we're moving to Bali. To which they replied, okay. So so we sold everything. We sold everything in our house. Yeah. And uh, made the move to Bali. We're coming at you live from the rice field. So there's going to be dogs barking. There might be a motorbike or two. You might hear some birds, some roosters, some rice field sounds. Absolutely. So, Emily, you guys just picked up. You moved to Bali. And Mm -hmm. you have two small kids. I do. I've got a 9- and 11-year-old daughter who've been on a bit of a wild ride the last few years. Yeah. And increasingly getting wilder. So they were up for it. They were ready. We'd be doing a lot of traveling as a a traveling yogi family, and they were ready to move to Asia. And uh, mommy was going to be in India a lot, so it just made sense. So they're at the Green School, which is an eco school in the middle of the jungle near Ubud. Yeah, it's entirely made out of bamboo. So that's really fun. Um, So Emily, you said traveling yogi family. So you're a yoga teacher. Tell us a little bit about that journey for you. (laughs) Okay. So uh, I've been doing yoga for about 25 years and I taught my first class during 9-11. Actually, the day after 9-11, I was working in film in Toronto. My boss was a woman called Mary Rowan, whose dad is a guy called Dan Rowan from Laughing, which uh, was a really popular TV show in the in the 70s, I believe. And she had a mandatory one-and-a-half-hour yoga break built into her contracts on film sets. Obviously not the day we were shooting, but outside of that in pre-production. Just excuse the bike there. Anyway, so she she so 9-11 happened, and we happened to be shooting in Toronto and traveling to New York the next day. We were actually filming at Madison Square Gardens on the ice. Oh, right. <laughs> and she was very anxious, as we all were at that time, being in that energy space. And so she said to me, my yoga teacher can't come. I need you to teach the class. And I taught the class. And okay, and you'd done a yoga teacher training before? I had done lots of mini retrainings because 25 years ago, these teacher trainings didn't really exist. Okay. People were self-teaching themselves. And unless you went and trained with Iyengar or Pajabi Joyce, 
there weren't really teacher trainings around 25 years ago. This is all a new thing. This is a modern yoga evolution. So I had done some work in Thailand and in Bali. And I suppose that would have been considered a training back then. And I had a really strong self-practice. So I practiced for two hours a day. Okay. Um, so solid practice. How many practice. years did you practice? Like 25 that? years. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So I had, a, I had a really strong practice. And also, I think you know, like I came – I drowned when I was three and I crossed over. I saw the light and came back seeing ghosts and reading people's tarot when I was five and having like this really elevated – experiences with with lots and lots of things so and came from a long line from both sides of my family of psychics and water diviners so it wasn't anything unusual to kind of branch into this I lived in outback Australia okay and and that's where you're from you're from Australia yeah and then it was I lived a very esoteric life even when I was a small child and it wasn't weird I wasn't picked on in school or anything people actually liked it like oh my god she can see my future and it was kind of like a party trick (laughs) am I gonna pass the test (laughs) yeah exactly so um and I was also just really open because I saw spirits all the time so when when Mary said you know you need to teach my class I taught it and she started she just came out of Shavasana and said you need to quit film and you need to become a yoga teacher now. Mm. And she was very heavy in the LA scene at that time when yoga, the LA yoga scene. The LA yoga scene. Okay. She'd been and for in those for of you who time. aren't yogis, um, Shavasana is the last pose in a yoga practice. It's called corpse pose. So it's really the death of your practice. Correct. So yeah, so that's really my, the first class I taught. And then I had children and I never thought I'd be somebody who would devote their entire life to raising babies. <laughs> I was working as a newsreader at the number one station in, in Australia. And I had about 2 million listeners every day and I did a breakfast show. And so I fell pregnant with my first child and I had a shift, you know, I was like, I'm going to do this. So I pretty much committed to them. I worked for another couple of years and then I committed to them to nurturing them and raising them and being one of those mothers that never stops breastfeeding their kids and still had my yoga practice, still really strong with my practice. And, you know, I remember being overdue, 10 days overdue and still doing headstands, which by the way, never do that because that's why the baby didn't come out, you know, and, and learning those lessons as a, as a yogi. And I used to go to a class and I used to think, oh my God, how can they talk and how can they do this? And it's so amazing. And I had such awe and respect for yoga teachers. And I really... I like watching other people hold oh, space. yeah. It's, it's a gift. Um, and every time I went to see a psychic myself or I would speak to somebody or I'd have a chart down astrologically, they would say, you should be a teacher. And I just mm-hmm. kept thinking inside the box of, oh God, I, I really like kids. Right. I don't want to be a school I want to work in an elementary school. Totally, totally. It's so interesting because a lot of people, you know, when they go and they see psychics or they see intuitives or they look for guidance outside themselves, it's really, I find a lot of people, some that have come on the show, it's really just confirmation of their own intuition. Yeah. So just going back a few years before that, um, my psychic abilities became really intense um, and when I was in my early 20s, I was still working as a newsreader. Oh, I just started actually, but I had started getting some really uh, amazing jobs. I was always into manifestation from a small age. And so um, I got this dream job. Like, I mean, I was reading news for two hours a day. I started work at 2.30 p.m. and finished at 6.30 p.m right, in my 20s, living in a city called Canberra in Australia, which is actually a really fun, esoteric city in Australia. And Canberra is the capital of Australia, right? Yeah, and NASA has a base there. So there's lots of stargazing goes on there. And some interesting stuff goes on in Canberra, energetically. So it's like the Washington DC of of Australia. Totally. It's not New York, but they've got cool stuff. Yeah, it's cool. So it was at that point that I had some really crazy stuff happen. Mm. Um, And I started to learn that there was white magic and there was black magic. 
And um, I started to see things that were really scary. I had been connected with my soulmate. And I just remember being in a room once. He was changing a light globe. My best friend who I lived with, who was like my little sister, was sitting beside me. And I just saw this flash that they were both going to die when they were 30. Oh, right. Uh-huh. And... Shortly okay. after, within the within that month, I had a situation where I actually broke up with my soulmate because I got a new job in Adelaide, which is quite a fair distance from Canberra. And he was on his path because he wanted to retire as a golf professional, which he hated. He liked to surf. He wanted to retire to a beach shack age 30. So he was winning all these tournaments and he was in huge abundance and he got a, like a car deal from Holden, which is like Ford. And, um, you know, he was doing really well. And we kind of just went on our separate ways for a little bit. And during that time, I, I was I was dating a guy in Canberra and a girl in my work really liked him. It's one of those situations where I'm a little bit naive and vague. And she just made my life hell. <laughs> and I remember one day looking outside the news booth, which was on the main intersection in Canberra, Burley Griffin Road or Street or whatever it's called, Avenue. And she was walking across the road and it was a stop sign. And I wished a car would run her over. No! And a car went through the red light and hit her and broke her leg. No. That's horrible. It was... Emily! No! I almost couldn't read my news and I was like, oh my God. (laughs) I totally... And then I went to see her in hospital. No! And she looked at me and said, you did that to me. And I said, I I really did. Like, I I don't know what happened. Like, I really... And that's when I realized that this stuff can get not only wild, but really dangerous. So I completely stepped away from everything. I blocked all of my visions. I blocked all of my thoughts. I blocked all of the ghosts. And what happened was my two friends and my my dear soulmate, they died. Actually, Mark died two days before his 30th birthday, and he had just won his last big golf tournament, which enabled him to retire for life. Right. Okay. And so when that happened, I was just a mess. And I really stepped away from it for about a decade. I stepped away from it all. Mm. And I still had abundance coming through. And I still had like, I was traveling. I actually left Australia. I moved to Paris and with a boyfriend with green hair. And um, <laughs> this is the 90s, right? This is the 90s. Okay, like the green, day. Hawk, green, green day. Green okay. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before yeah. sunrise. Yeah, before sunrise, totally. I'm going to go yeah. to Europe. Yep. Okay. And he got a really great job um, producing the World Cup soccer, the Tour de France, and and the, some tennis tournaments. So we got to go and live in Paris for a year. And it was a really amazing experience. And I left a really high-paying job and a just really beginning flourishing career mm-hmm. to do that. And I just knew I had to go. And much to my parents' absolute disgust, even to this day, I just left. And that's when the traveling started. I traveled for four years. And, you know, we met the Dalai Lama. We were trapped in an elevator with the Beastie Boys in Paris. You know, just really incredible experiences. Right. So when you're out of the box a lot of the time, you know, when you're removed from the majority of the culture where you're from, it's really funny how you have these fringe experiences. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I I could, I could, (laughs) some wild stuff happened. We burnt down the hotel we were staying with. (laughs) Well, I used to wash my boyfriend's socks and the cleaner came in and put the, I put them on the lap because there was nowhere to hang it. And the cleaner came in and then we came down the entire, and this is media hotel during the World Cup soccer. There was nowhere to house us. And Emily burnt down the hotel. I had this thing with fires. (laughs) So yeah, so it was just wild. And actually to be in Paris at that time, 
time, everyone was watching soccer. So anybody who was accommodating, who was in accommodation in Paris in that time were there for the soccer. So I went to um, the Louvre and I went to Versailles and I was walking through those places. There was not another person looking at the artwork when I was there. Yeah. And that was my first time to Paris. Amazing. We actually had an emergency landing on the way to Paris as well. Our plane lost engines and we landed in Darwin and had to be like shooted off the plane. That was kind of a mm. wild experience. Yeah. Darwin's at the top of Australia. It's kind of the crocodile Dundee. Yeah, it, it really <laughs> is. So we were stuck there for a few days. So anyway, everything was just wild times with my ex. He was the guy before my husband actually. So just really had an amazing time. And we ended up living in London. And that's when I started to get into film. I worked as a florister and I couldn't work as a journalist and um as a- I worked as a in a florist. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, and I met um some incredible people. I mean, all through my broadcasting days I would was very exposed to a lot of celebrities and then a lot of people worked at this florist and then they worked in film on the side. They did both jobs. It was a really Because film's a bit casual? Yeah, film's very casual. And so I started getting into the film industry there and had some really incredible, like I met Nick Cave, I met Harvey Keitel, I met um, Paul McCartney. I met so many people working in the florist industry. Mm. <laughs> um, it was really great people. And I really loved the energy of the people. And they said, oh, we all work in film. So I kind of was like, I want to work in film. And at the time I had broken up with Glenn. Actually, I was with somebody else between him and my husband. And I ended up, this guy came in saying he was Jeffrey Wright. Rush's assistant and he was buying roses for his for Jeffrey Rush's wife's 40th and his name was Martin Flower and I was working in a florist and I ended up dating him it was weird so um ended up just going on this wild ride in London and then eventually ended up in Canada where I got two film jobs and met my husband the first week I was in Canada wow and yeah the first week and he actually worked at both the places that I got jobs at Wow. And that year was a SAG strike in the US and all production came to Canada. Yes. And the production company, I started off as an office manager and was bumped up to assistant producer really, really quickly and was working on big jobs and got really thrown into the industry. So we had a lot of Americans coming up and doing shoots. So we went from just, just as an example, we went from filming one project a week to six to eight a day. Right, okay. And it was just a really fun time to be in Toronto. And, yeah, so heavily working in film, and then that's when um, 9-11 happened, obviously, in 2001, and I was connected with Mary, and that's when I really started to come back into esoteric life. And, you know, I had to really learn to navigate that because I'd had a horrendous experience with it. Yeah, really, really intense. So you don't get more intense than meeting a soulmate and then predicting they're going to die and then they die. Um, yeah, that's a lot. And that's the double-edged sword. And so I really started getting interested in shielding and protecting and, you know, you don't want to go around reading everybody's future and it's there has to be boundaries. So I started to learn about boundaries. So I went to Toronto. Um, I met my husband. We came back to Australia for, for five years and I worked in this really prestigious job um, that was the one where I had 2 million listeners and I am a fire sign and all three yeah. and, and I have a lot of pitter in, which is, means I have a lot of fire in my body and I was doing hot yoga, no, no, and uh, working as a journalist in a very high pressure 
yeah. environment. It was a disaster. Yeah. So something had to give and then I decided or got pushed to – I mean, I was throwing chairs and stuff. It was like – I was one, one yeah. of those news so readers. Ayurvedically, there's three doshas or body types. So there's kapha, which is really earthy, vada, which is really air, and then pitta, which is really fire. Mm. So you have a lot of – fire within your body and it's important to cool down and make sure that you have that balance is that right definitely so not a lot of yang practices if you if you're a pitta you can right. do a little bit but you right. want to do the yin and restorative yeah and yang practices are the more active practices so what emily is saying is if, if you have that energy you know where you have that fire in your belly a lot of the time it's helpful if you do a lot of practice self-practice that's calming that calms your nervous system down so emily how did you get more into yoga and what training have you done mm-hmm. and where has that kind of led you in terms of your path of teaching others? Right. So basically when I was in Toronto and I had a six month old, I wandered down to the yoga <laughs> studio at the end of my street and I met this incredible teacher who's still my mentor to this day. Amazing. Sorry, we've got a dog barking here. We're really in the rice field. We really are. Um, so who is your teacher? Her name's Jane Looney and she's a restorative teacher the class I went and took with her was actually Ashtanga. And, um, okay, and can you just really quickly describe sorry. Ashtanga yoga? So Ashtanga, and Ashtanga yoga? is uh, a primary series of um, asana postures that is very sequenced and it's in a flow and it's a yang practice. You do the same postures every time. Uh, there can be some variation if it's a vinyasa style, but generally, yes, it's a very okay. set structured. Yeah. So for those yoga. of you who aren't really yog- familiar with yoga, yogically familiar, Ashtanga is a really regimented practice. I think it comes from Mysore. Is it that does. Right? It does. Yeah, it comes from Mysore, India. And a lot of people go and practice there and learn this sequence. And I believe it takes maybe 90 minutes and you're supposed to wake up at like five in the morning and do the same practice every day. And so it's really quite a discipline in terms of yoga. So you do asana which is a yoga posture and you do the same sequence of asanas every day so you do the same postures in the same sequence every day right yeah and so she also but her specialty is actually restorative okay describe restorative yoga oh restorative is heaven if you haven't done it you must do it it's uh shutting down the central nervous system and stimulating the parasympathetic nerve which is our rest part of our brain and it's very chilled out postures it's asana postures that are very well supported so you use bolsters and you use blankets and you use straps and it's just like a gentle soft more long hold postures yeah from what from everything that i've heard from people um in terms of restorative it's i mean i like to think of it as active napping mm, totally because <laughs> you're in that really relaxed space where your body can just oh, you know relax but also it's different than other kinds of yoga that are not as active because you're really using a lot of props so you're using pillows you're using straps you're using cushions you're using bolsters bolsters mm-hmm. lots of different kinds of props to get your body so supported that it can just let go Is yeah that right yeah you melt into the postures right okay and it's not there's not supposed to be any strain or you're not supposed to get into any parts of the tissue Mm-mm. you're really just supposed to relax correct okay and actually most teachers well i thoroughly stress this with people that if you're doing a an active ashtanga practice you should be doing one yin yoga and one restorative yoga class a week and teachers should also be doing that themselves it's really important to have that downtime with your mm. practice yin is a little bit uh similar to restorative although you you do feel yin um it's fascia release it is 
it's right. a, more of a scientific yoga, so actually. So instead of letting the body go and really getting into the parasympathetic nerve, which is where your body can just let go and relax mm-hmm. and process, mm-hmm. yin yoga is more about that connective tissue, Correct, right? and meridian stimulation as well. Okay, so yeah. it's definitely you're getting... It, it's more active than restorative. Definitely, it's not like you're you're sweating, but you're definitely getting into the muscle, like a lot of that tissue and mm-hmm. nerves. Correct. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So Jane, uh, so I was with Jane for for ten years. Wow. Yeah, okay. I literally got off a plane earlier in the week and went to her class on the Sunday, and we have been connected since then and are best friends. And she's my restorative teacher, and and now my, you know, now a co teacher, and and. She really guided me. So how it all came about was after a couple of weeks, she said to me, so when are you doing your training? And I said, <laughs> oh, I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to be a yoga teacher. And I was still loosely working in film, actually. I was working in pre-production and um, editing editing work and still doing voice work. So I was still active in that occupation and I knew it wasn't in my heart. And then a few months later, some friends asked me to research yoga teacher trainings for them. And I started to realize it's really hard to find immersions. One month yoga teacher trainings, they were all done on weekends. Okay. So this was a, a few years ago, right? Yeah. This yeah. Maybe... Five years ago, maybe a bit longer. Okay. In yeah. Canada. So you in were Canada. really looking for experiences where people could just like take a break from their everyday life, really fully immerse themselves mm-hmm. in a yoga tradition. Mm-hmm. And then learn everything about that. Correct. So it's not everything, but like really get up in there. It's a 200 hour, the first one you do to get certified as a teacher. Uh, So I just started investigating for some friends because I was still very intuitive and they knew that I could, you know, look at something and know if it was BS or not. So I did. And um, there's this one program called Karma Teachers that really spoke to me and they operate out of Vancouver and they have a three-story studio, like old warehouse in Gastown, really dodgy part of Vancouver. Um, homeless community and they uh, offer free yoga to anyone or by donation. Okay, cool. And that place has no ego. It is the most beautiful practice place I've ever been to in the world. It's just open to everyone. It's yoga for everyone. And they have 70 classes a day. 70. Yep. Seven zero classes. So they have. A day. I think they have okay. eight or nine studios now, and they're just running back to back. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So from there. Because you you do a couple of different types of yoga, right? Yeah. Emily is really, you know, she does a lot of yin. She's really an expert in yin, in restorative, and also kundalini. So yeah. in terms of all three <laughs> of those practices, how do you integrate them? And which is your favorite? And in terms of the trainings, mm. um, do what do you teach in, in your trainings? Okay, in the, the trainings I teach, mm. my specialty is yin. Okay. I do uh, chakras and restorative. I can also assist Ashtanga. I know how to teach everything, basically. Right. Um, but my passion's yin. So chakras also, for those of you who are new to this kind of stuff, chakras are energy centers in the body. And I think traditionally in India, is that from the Hindu tradition? Yeah. Yep. So there's different centers in the body. So you have base chakra, sacral chakra, solar plexus, heart, throat, Third eye. Third eye mm-hmm. and then crown chakra. So they, they just represent different energy centers in the body. Is that right? Yeah. And some lineages, for example, Kundalini, they bring in the eighth chakra, which is the aura as well. So there are, there are, there's variation and there's, it's very controversial, actually. Ooh. Yeah. There's chakra <laughs> controversy, especially when you start talking about dimensions and things. Yeah. Spiritual controversy. Spiritual. Never heard that before. So doing teacher trainings, yin is my specialty and I do a 60 week training once for a week, once or twice a year. And it's really quite demanding. 60 week training? Six, sorry, 60 
hour one week training okay 60 hour one week training so for one week you really come in and so is it like a module it's a module so it'd be for someone who's done their 200 hour and they want to expand so basically what I did was I did every training you could imagine Mm. I have probably 1500 hours of training now behind me and I also trained with the best of the best okay so my yin master is Bernie Clark um, my restorative teacher was Jane Looney, and then I started to, you know, my my vector was uh, Colleen and Rodney Yee. I just went around, and because I was in North America, I could train with anyone and everyone. Okay, so you were like, I really want to get into this space. I want to learn from people who've devoted their lives to this yeah. kind of a thing. Okay, cool. and I had, and so I was given, I was gifted a scholarship for my first training. Okay, because I had rung this guy in Vancouver, and he said, "So you're coming to the training? I have twenty four and you're coming. And I said, no, 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 this isn't for me. I'm not doing a teacher training. <laughs> and which training was that? That was my first 200 hour. Okay. And was it? Vinyasa. It's just, it's a general training. Okay. Shanga Vinyasa. Like how to hold yin. space, the Correct. different asanas, how to get into alignment. Correct. Because for a lot of people, yoga is really intimidating, right? Yeah, it was totally, especially I mean, now. It's, it's so intimidating. I'm looking it's at so Instagram and I'm no, like, my no, handstand's no. not on fleek. Who yeah. am I kidding? Like, I can't even do a handstand. <laughs> But, like, I'm, I kick one leg up in the air. Sometimes I do it on the wall. It's a process. But I think for a lot of people, it can be so intimidating. And what they don't realize is maybe that, like, it takes years to get to that point, right? Yeah, you know, that's the one thing I loved about Jane is she's a bigger girl. And people would come to her class and, and she would actually have people leave saying, I'm sorry, I can't do a yoga class with someone who's who's overweight. They'd say that to her? Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and she's actually one of the best yoga teachers in Canada. Right. Okay. And anybody who knows her knows that she is. Yeah. And her classes, and, and you know, she, she would just say, like, of course it hurt me. I'm an empath. And just so you know, empaths generally keep a little bit of padding on them because they need to. So um, empaths are people that feel or empathize with those around them? Correct. They feel their feelings. Yeah. And she... They feel the feelings of other people around them. Yeah, and there's still a lot of trainings out there where the teacher trainers actually believe that that you have to be a certain size to do a posture, which is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, there are some things um, within the body anatomically. Some people have an extra vertebra in their spine. Oh, right. Good to know. So there's an L4, an L5, and an L6. And most people who can do a backbend would be an L, have an L5. People who just can't do backbends, they're anatomically uh, – it's unavailable to them to do yeah. that, so ever. Is that, is that like people having earlobes that are attached or unattached? It's just like another human thing? Totally. Human it's called human variation. Oh, right. Yeah. Human variation. Human Learn variation. something new every day. Yeah. <laughs> so human variation plays a big part in yoga. And one thing I did start to realize is when I went to classes that a lot of the teachers only taught the poses they could demonstrate perfectly. Oh. So when I started okay. as a yoga teacher, I deliberately taught poses that I didn't know how to do. Yeah. I mean, because I think as a teacher, there's probably a lot of pressure to, you know, be the example of, the, of the asana, of the posture. Yeah. But I think nowadays we're moving into this place, hopefully, where people are a little bit more human about it. And it's like, look, I have a body. My body's different every day. Energy moves through my body differently every day. Sometimes I'm like, you know, like I'm really flexible. And sometimes I'm like, oh, man, like I sat at my computer all day yesterday and like my hamstrings are just not happy. And hamstrings is an interesting one you bring up because if you're an energy healer, you have very short, your hamstrings kill all the time because you're actually um, using your kidneys a lot. Adrenal glands are working overtime and then you feel it in your hamstrings. So it's very common for, for healers who are yoga teachers to 
to have a lot of issues with their hamstrings. But the Instadiogis you're seeing doing these incredible backbends, they have L6. They have an extra vertebra in oh, their spine. Because I'm looking at it and I'm just like, you know, it's great. And I, I, I understand, you know, in Ubud, there's quite a lot of yoga happening and um, it's become kind of a yoga hub. And there's a lot of people here, you know, that come in there and they're, I think maybe they feel inadequate, but mm-hmm. actually like it's taken years of devoted practice to be able to, you know, safely do a handstand or safely even go into pigeon, which is opposed, you know, where you kind of like shove one leg up and you like up to, you bend your knee and you shove it up and the other leg you push behind. So you're really getting into your hip space. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, like that's challenging if Mm -hmm. you've only done, you know, traditional Western, like I'm going for a run or I'm riding a bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of variations that need to be taken into account. And, and yoga, I, I really feel like my mission or my my goal is to bring yoga back to a space where it's accessible for everyone because I think what's happened is it's become so out of control mm. that I even feel bad about going to a yoga class. And I know I can do pretty much all of the postures. So for me to feel really, really uncomfortable going into a yoga space is not a good thing. And that started to happen for me, I would say about the last five years. Mm. And there's a responsibility of studio owners to, to hire the Jane Looney's of the world. Yeah. I think also a lot of people don't realize that in every class you go to every yoga class. And I was taught this by my teacher who's amazing, but doesn't live where I live anymore. So I don't get to practice with her all the time. But you know, I was taught that if there's an asana, if there's a posture that your body doesn't want to go into, you are under no obligation no. to do anything that the rest of the class is doing. You are welcome to take a child's pose at any point. There's no competition. There's no pushing yourself. Like yoga is about you and your body and your breath. Definitely. And and that's that's kind of where yoga yoga's in a huge transition right now. So so when I started teaching and training and I started teaching, I started teaching the day I started my teacher training. I got offered a teaching gig. And after four days of my first teacher training, I went to Samadhi, which is the eighth limb of yoga or enlightenment, um, right. after opening everything up. It you happened like, really Wah! quickly. So it was like almost all of a sudden, <laughs> you are so back in this world. And I really just had to embrace it. There's no stopping it anymore. And, you know, the, the reason why I have my, my hashtag is baby kale yogi is I was, it was the middle of February. It was like minus 42 in Toronto and I'm walking around. Is that Celsius or Fahrenheit? Celsius. What is that in in American? In Fahrenheit? American, it's still minus forty two. Oh right, because when Cause you, you get had... below, you just get below. <laughs> when it gets that cold, it's all the same, yeah. right? <laughs> so I'm walking around in a tank top and flip flops in the snow, and having this uh, experience in a Whole Foods in Toronto where a bunch of kale became my baby, right? And everybody around me. So when you're in Samadhi, everybody around you comes into that vibration, right? And it's like when you're happy, they really feel it. Totally. Mm. And it's just it's just a oneness. It's a feeling of oneness. And you can't feel temperature. Um, and you have incredible experiences. I was dancing in the aisles of the nut bulk area with this man, Paul Simon. And women were like crying around me. And we were protecting the kale because we were taking the kale out into the cold. So we had to like put bags on it and then the green grocer was like thank you so much for protecting the kale and he was crying and we were all crying <laughs> and, and then I went to the subway and this woman's like I will hold your baby and we're walking through like the subway turnstile and everyone's like admiring like look at that beautiful kale and I'm like I know I'm so proud of my kale 
Like, right. It was the wildest thing yeah. that has ever happened in my life. And I've died and been to heaven. So that was wild. So that feeling of samadhi lasted for about a year and a half for me. Amazing. And so you don't you, – you drink water, but you don't eat, you don't sleep. Right. Your body's kind of in a state of – Right. It's a different energetic plane. Yeah, and I don't want to call it enlightenment because enlightenment's used so so commonly, but I don't know what was going on. But then I had all these people being brought in to come and meet the girl in enlightenment from the <laughs> yoga world and just say, yes, she's definitely in enlightenment. And I was really lucky at the time because there was conversations about whether it was psychosis, mm. which can happen to people who do heavy meditation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so I was really lucky at the time. I had a friend whose dad's a brain surgeon, yeah. and he came in. He's also Sri Lankan, and he came in and said, oh, no, she's just she's in samadhi. You know, know she's enlightened like she's totally fine and he actually said to his daughter who's a documentarian you need to follow her for six months this is going to be fun so she did so I at the time I started getting heavily into Kundalini and I was in an ashram every morning for 120 days straight Mm -hmm. and I would get up and start my practice at 3 a.m I was in the ashram from 4 till 6 30 and then I would teach six classes a day Mm -hmm. and then come home and do my practice so I was doing about 12 hours of yoga a day okay an intense mantra breath work yeah intense practice and really quickly what is mantra for those uh, for those of us that aren't super familiar oh god mantra is the nad it's uh the mantras in kundalini are a it's it's they're so all a mantra, in, it's, is, is it like a phrase it's a song it's a song it's a chant. okay so a mantra. mantra is a chant in sanskrit it's in it's actually in gurumukhi in kundalini it can be in sanskrit okay so these are ancient languages from india correct okay cool and <laughs> yeah so when i started doing uh, i started doing sadhana in vancouver and i went in there and they have this book this prayer book called japji that they recite every morning and what is sadhana sadhana is in kundalini tradition sadhana is before the sun rises okay there is a four uh, from 4 a.m there's a two and a half hour practice and it's when the uh, the sun is a 60 degree axis to the earth when the the world is or the world where you are in the world at the time is the most still Okay, so there's a science behind this. Correct. And that's when you're the most open and receptive to messages. Okay. And you can get into a really deep meditation. So they have these days in Kundalini where you can do a 40-day sadhana, a 90, a 120, and the big boys, a 1,000. But they really don't suggest that for women because Mm. it can really mess up the body clock. Okay, interesting. But I do, sadhana can also be at any time. It can be when the sun goes down, but a traditional kundalini sadhana is very regimented. You get up in coconut pool for 20 minutes, you body brush toward the heart, you oil up and have an ice cold shower for three minutes, mm-hmm. chanting Wahiguru. Right. And then you go into the space. And for me, it happened to be one of, I think, only six ashrams in the world was where Yogi Bhajan, who is the Kundalini god guru, who's right. now can you, gone. Wh- what is the, just real quickly, yeah. if you could sum it up, what's the tradition of Kundalini yoga? So Kundalini, they like, call, what's that? They call it, they call, <laughs> they call it the crack cocaine of yoga. Yeah, that's what Russell Brand, I think, has been yeah, saying. So it's, it's interesting. I'm like, oh, right. you got to be really ready for Kundalini. And I'm kind of like a Kundalini magnet for people. They, they come to me and they're like, do you know anything about Kundalini? And I said, oh, yeah. So it's taking yourself on a journey of awakening the Kundalini snake within the within the body, within the energy. Okay, so from my within the body. limited knowledge of Kundalini yoga, I think that – or I think I've heard that Kundalini – Yogis believe that there's like a like a snake full mm-hmm. of energy at the bottom of your spine, mm-hmm. and as cool. you move through your energy centers, the snake starts to unravel and release energy up your spine. Correct. Is that accurate? Yep, it's shooting the energy up to the crown, basically. Okay, so it's you're still working with the same chakras. Correct. But you said Kundalini's have an eighth. Yeah, we have an eighth. We have an aura. Okay. Yeah, cool. and the, the whole point of Kundalini is, is to expand that aura, so no bad guys can get in. Okay, so it's like. 
it's like really kind of expanding your beautiful energy. Correct. It's, 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 so it's like it's like think being about as Star Wars. As think about Star Wars. Oh, it's like the Force from oh, Star totally. Wars. There's such a correlation between Use Kundalini the force, and Star Wars. Luke. Totally. I love it. And okay. they use Star Wars all the time when we talk about Kundalini. Okay. That's yeah. really funny. Yeah. And if you look at Star Wars and you see all like the white clothing right. and the robes and right. it's all very similar to Kundalini. So you studied with the Luke Skywalker guy? <laughs> Go back to that. Okay. So who did, okay. So I had a really wild experience when I was in Samadhi where I'm sitting in this ashram. I didn't even know who Yogi Bhajan was. And Yogi Bhajan's dead, by the way. And I'm sitting in this ashram and all of a sudden this bearded man starts talking to me. Like in person. He just walks over and he's like, hey, Em. No, he's in spirit. Okay, right. And he starts saying to me. To get a vision of this Yeah. Uh And and then another time, uh, so this happened once, he would say things to me like, do your mantras longer or do a certain um, asana, which they call kriyas in kundalini. And... Just little things he would say. Take calcium. You know, this kind of weird stuff. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And did you think it was your intuition? Uh, I'd seen ghosts before, so I knew it was a ghost. Okay, right. And then I said to somebody, oh, this guy with a beard keeps coming. They said, oh, that's Yogi Bhajan. Yogi Bhajan's talking to you. And what I'd done at this point, I'd open up so much. I was so high with that angelic realm that he could talk to me and he could communicate with me. And his presence is very much in that ashram. And all the girls who live there have talked about him coming up and being present with them before. And a couple of times I was in Shavasana when I was doing my, um, my 120 days of sadhana in that ashram. And one girl who's very in tune saw him walking around me and I could hear the floorboards creaking around me when I was in Shavasana. So he's very much with me. And so about, I think it was about 30 35 days into my sadhana, he came to me and told me to meet a teacher called Akasha. And I came out of meditation and the teacher trainer in front of me who happened to be leading that day said, we've got a really special guest coming up from Alabama to Ontario. And his teaching a class was so excited to have this huge Kundalini teacher who had trained with Yogi Bhajan from age 11. And I said, let me guess, his name's Akasha or her name's Akasha. I didn't even know if Akasha was a boy or a girl. And he looked at me and said, yeah. And I was like, this is going to be wild. So I went to this festival. I remember it was like... 10 at night yeah. and my friend Tammy, I said, Tammy, you have to come. Like, Tammy works in finance. I'm like, you've got to come with me. These kundalinis, it's a cult. It's a cult. <laughs> you know, they're all wearing turbans and I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, and- kundalinis generally, kundalini yogis generally wear all white, right? And they wear turban. Why do they wear the turbans? They call it full bona. So they wear a turban to keep to seal their energy and protect themselves. Oh, right. Like yeah. in the world. But they don't, do they wear it at the ashram also? Yeah, they wear it when they're doing practice, sealing in the energy and keeping that practice and that energy and that kundalini that they're rising to keep that in in themselves. Oh, right. It's a shield as well. And the white is the white is just so you don't drop crap on your food and you're more mindful when you're eating. That's why they wear white? Well, they also do increase their aura. Like white increases your aura, according to kundalini. And also it's so you don't get messy while you eat. I got to try that out because literally I'm that person who's like, oh, and there's coffee all over me. It just <laughs> makes you more mindful and it kind of makes sense. So it totally makes sense. When I wear white, I feel lighter. And then I'm like, oh, maybe I will take my pants off to eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's good. the kundalinis. And I've got to tell you, there's something magic about they're, they're angelic. They have a lot of ghosts coming to them and they help a lot of people cross over who may be trapped. 
Oh, right. Interesting. Um, and so anyway, I went to this festival. I knocked over. They were, they were doing a walking meditation. I almost ran people over. It was 1030 at night. There was no lights. And I get there. And the next day, I had actually written my first article for Elephant Journal. Yeah. And Emily is a writer as well. This I is am. what I didn't mention. All right. And uh, I was out. I was. I started following the Kundalini scene and started writing about my experiences as a newbie. And I was out in the middle of a field trying to get cell phone coverage and this bearded man walks across and it was Akasha and we shook hands and I swear to God, it was like an electric vault. And he's been my teacher ever since. And we've been teaching together retreats and we were meant to do a teaching training together in Bali, but unfortunately I severed my foot in a scooter accident. I hit a young guy, actually, he's fine. (laughs) It was an interesting time too. And that instigated an article. It was never a dull moment in Bali. Yes. Emily wrote an article that I think went viral from Elephant Journal called... I'm I'm breaking up with spirituality. That's right. I'm breaking up with spirituality. Well, thank you so much, Emily. We're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, Emily is going to give some tips and tricks about how to integrate a lot of these things into your life if you're just starting on a yoga journey or really if you just want to like get into your parasympathetic nerve shut that down relax and restorative Um, and then we're going to do a short meditation that she's going to lead us on so thanks again emily and we'll be right back episode is brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I'm a singer, songwriter, cartoonist, and I have an Etsy of some shirts of my cartoons and all my music at njloves.com. So check it out, njloves.com. And if you like what we're doing and you'd like to reach our audience of people who are interested in living outside the box, near the box, box adjacent, and staying wild, hit us up. We'd love to hear from you for advertising opportunities. And back to the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Stay Wild. I'm here with Emily McBurney, who's a yogi, kundalini, restorative yoga, and yin yoga. She teaches retrainings, retreats and trainings around the world. I like that. Yeah, retrainings. Um, and so she's going to lead us through a short meditation, and then she's going to give some tips and tricks about how to integrate some just really basic postures and things in your life to help you cool your energy down or speed your energy up, and then tell us where you can find her. So Emily, it's okay. all yours. Okay. So hopefully you're not driving. If you are, please skip the meditation. I don't want to be responsible for any accidents. And uh, if you can sit, but if not, you can lay down. And uh, if you're sitting, I want you to plant both feet into the ground and have an even amount of weight in each sit bone. So closing your eyes now and connecting with your breath. And by that, I mean inhale through the nose and exhale just out through the mouth. Just a regular breath, but noticing your breath. So taking another inhalation through the nose and exhaling out of the mouth. And now we're going to inhale again through the nose and really lengthen the spine, taking that breath all the way up the spine and pausing here for one, two, three, four, and exhaling through the nose, one, two, three, four. Taking another breath in through the nose. One, two, three, four. Pausing for one, two, three, four. And exhaling through the nose. One, two, three, four. Taking a deep inhalation through the nose. Holding that breath. One, two, 
three, four, and now exhaling with a big sigh. <sighs> we'll do one more of those, inhaling through the nose and holding the breath. One, two, three, four, and then exhaling, sighing out through the mouth. <sighs> Slowly opening your eyes, coming back to this beautiful space. Thank you, Emily. That's amazing. So we're here in, in my garden, actually, in Ubud Bali. Um, so, Emily, what are some things that, that the listener can do to stay wild, get back into their own energy, get back into their own space, get back into alignment? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the time, you know, living in the living in the world, you know, we're in a reactionary space of reacting to what other people are doing or our job or traffic or Definitely. something we saw on Facebook. Um, so what are things that people can do? To get back into that space and maybe a couple of postures that are good for that. Sure. There are, there's so much going on right now for the nervous system. We're in a numerological year where it's it's all about the nervous system and, and there's a lot of craziness. There's a lot of yang. As you said, there's a lot of traffic, a lot of expectations, and a lot of technology. And the number one thing that I tell people is I cannot stress the importance of a technology break. Mm. I think the statistic is about 86% last time I looked of people roll over and check their phone before even getting out of bed. I do that. Sometimes I do. I do that. Do not keep that phone in your room unless it's an emergency or you have someone that's trying to contact you via text. That's okay. But the the premise is, is that by rolling over and deep digging deep into social media, we're actually living thousands of lives before you even get out of bed. That makes sense. So you really don't, you're not present with your own life. Correct. Is that what you and, mean? And Every CEO, all Fortune 500 people have a spiritual advisor. I actually advise a Fortune 500 family in India. Uh And I have to tell you that they do not check their phones for an hour after they get up. Okay. And they have a huge increase in productivity throughout the day. Okay. So you're really letting yourself kind of wake up into your own energy, into your Mm -hmm. own space, what you're grateful for, Mm, what you want to accomplish for the day. Correct. Okay. So that's a really good point you bring up. So being grateful as soon as you get up sets the tune and sets the tone for your day energetically. So what I do is I get up before I even leave the bed, and it's really nice in Bali because we have these beautiful bug nets around us, which feel like a veil and you're kind of protected. <laughs> Keep us free from dengue fever and malaria. Correct. We're yeah. um, <laughs> so, a nice veil. Yeah, yeah. So wear a veil. No, get up and, and just sit in your bed. And I actually do a 20-minute meditation that is non-negotiable for me. I don't care if I need to go to the bathroom. I do a 20-minute meditation in my bed sitting upright. And the premise of sitting upright is, is that the energy can flow up the spine. Okay. So that's non-negotiable. Meditation is so important. And I know that we hear about it all the time and it can make you groan a little bit when people are like, oh my God, they're telling me to meditate. But really, the, mm. meditating is does the same thing to your brain as having an orgasm. Ooh, I like that. Okay. Um, so basically you're giving yourself an orgasm <laughs> And when for you people up, who aren't really fine, familiar but... with meditation or yoga, like how would you sum up what meditation is? Okay, so d- the thing about meditation is people get so hell-bent on meditation when all I tell people is – because I'm, I've done a lot of Zen meditation practice and a lot of Vipassana and a lot yeah. of silent meditation. It's become a buzzword. It's, it's a buzzword. Like meditate. Basically, Hashtag just, meditate. Just sit, <laughs> sit in your beds, get up, sit in your, like, don't, if you have to go to the bathroom, please do. But sit in your bed, take some quiet time, just focus on the breath. Inhaling, like I just said before, and holding for four and exhaling for four. Notice what your breath's doing. And do that for a few rounds. Do a four minute meditation. See how you go. Let the thoughts come in. A lot of time we're told in meditation, oh my God, the thoughts are bad. Thoughts are bad. Mm. Let them come in. Notice what comes up. Oh yeah. 
I'm thinking about this person doing this to me. Fine. And then just blow it away. Yeah. You know, when I do meditation with kids, I, ima- I get them to imagine they have one of those dandelion, fluffy dandelions when they're white. Mm. And you're just blowing the thoughts away. Mm. You know, it's just the thought comes in, acknowledge the thought, and then let it go. They're going to start flooding in. And every single person on this planet, even gurus who sit in caves in the Himalayas, they have issues with meditation. It's different every single day. This morning I got up and did a 24 meditation and it flew and it was beautiful. Um, other days I, I'm like checking the clock and it's a minute. I'm going, what? No. And I've got all these thoughts coming in. Right. It's so different all the time. meditation is really just being present with your breath. Yep. Eyes closed. Letting the eyes closed and letting yourself not get not get absorbed in your thoughts. Correct. And one thing I just wanted to mention, you keep the palms upright to draw in energy and you keep them down if you're feeling ungrounded. So what does that mean if you feel ungrounded? Well, if you go to a place with high spiritual energy, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Hawaii, powerful, powerful places that can make you feel a little bit floaty. Mm. So it's very care. You've got to be very careful with what kind of practice you're doing there because you want to experience your practice. You want to feel grounded so you can feel your feet on the ground. Right. And that's where you feel, when you feel grounded, you feel really present and kind of ready to rock your life, right? Definitely. And that's when the, when it becomes a beautiful, a beautiful blend of the yin and yang and the practice. That's when it's really, really nice. And a lot of yogis out there fast, um, and they go really, really high and they love it. It's great being in that space, but you set fire to your kitchen from experience and can have accidents. Accidentally. Accidentally. And you can have all sorts of things go on that can be really not safe. Right. So it's important to make sure that you have enough energy to be present and to really, live your everyday life. Yeah. So no, do not touch that phone for an hour and just test yourself. It's actually really easy. By the time you get up, have a shower, do whatever you got to do around the house and get ready. It's really easy to not touch that phone. And if you have to hide it, like hide the phone. Yeah. I actually just bought an alarm clock so Mm, I won't have to. Exactly. So I won't have to have the alarm on my phone. Please do that. Please just buy an alarm. You don't go near that phone. It's there's people. And by reading emails that early in the morning, people want something from you generally when they email and they're just zapping your energy and you need to keep that energy contained. So you've done your meditation. I do affirmations, Mm -hmm. what I'm grateful for. And some mm. days life is so hard, mm. you don't feel grateful for anything, but you got to find something. Thank you so much for having yeah. a, a roof over my head. What are three affirmations that you can share with the Stay Wild listeners? Okay. Um, my, my personal favorite affirmation that I say to myself all the time, and I've had it for 30 years, is I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm at peace with myself. Okay. So you can pick three things that just resonate for you. And say that little mantra over and over. You can say it in Shavasana and Corpse Pose if you're in your yoga or just if you're feeling really low vibe and, and you need to shift. And it, you really shift yourself quickly with a positive affirmation. There are so many people who have affirmations. Louise Hay. I'm doing Louise Hay affirmations right now. I got to say, she's an elderly woman who does this staring in the mirror telling yourself, you're beautiful, which actually is really beneficial. It didn't really resonate for me personally, but yeah. now we're doing her abundance affirmations. Okay. And they're working. So I don't care if I shout out to the world, I am abundant, I have money flow, I'm prosperous, and I'm healthy and happy. If I just have to stand up every morning and say that and I get great stuff happening, right? who cares? Don't judge yourself. Don't judge exactly. yourself or others. Let yourself just have the practice that you need to have. Yeah, so as far as um, that goes, that's mandatory for me. And being so grateful, and a lot of people talk about angels and they talk about, well, I asked my angels or I prayed to God and nothing happened. You have to be... Grateful. Yeah. You can't be demanding and say, angels, I want this. It doesn't work like that. Thank you so much for angels for supporting me. I know you're around me and I feel you. Just say something like that. 
and they're there. I mean, angels are incredible, especially if you're flying, by the way. If you have turbulence and you call in those angels, you rock it, man. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, so those, cool. those kind of affirmations and other things that I do is I, um, smudge a lot. I'm a space clearer. So I go into homes and clear the, them of ghosts nasty ghosts so mm. i have a lot of wood smudges a lot of people like sage sage is kind of like the mellow mellow yeah. smudge i like so wood. for people that aren't familiar with this um when you smudge a space or when you um sage a space it pretty much you're changing the energy of a space like when you set fire to something like sage or palo santo or a certain kind of wood you transform that wood from a physical thing into a smoke pretty much and that smoke spiritually i think the idea is that it the transformation of the uh, sage into smoke or wood into smoke transforms the energy of the space. Correct. And one thing to remember is you, you need to have everything open when you're smudging. Yeah, have all the windows open. Yeah, you can't have it coming back in. So smudging is really important. I carry parallel center everywhere, and I smudge myself. There's days when I'm just smudging all day for various reasons. You, <laughs> hashtag, hashtag smudge, smudge yourself. yourself. <laughs> That's really important. Not having low-vibe conversations, being around people that uplift you. Mm. You know, I stopped the gossiping and the slandering so many years ago, and I, I really distanced myself from that because – everybody's on a different journey. And, and my biggest issue personally is, is being judgmental of myself actually more than anyone else. And I need to, you have to really shift that and there's mm. ways to do it. And also being raw and real, you know, as yoga teachers or people in a spiritual community, we don't want to be we vulnerable. We don't want to be vulnerable and tell people that there's something going on with us and there's something wrong right. with us. Cause we're always supposed to be in this position of being authority. It's not like that. And I know just, just from doing trainings over the years and retreats, you, we really, as teachers, learn more from the people who show up. Oh, I love that. Oh, it's That's amazing. incredible. I did a training with 11 of apparently the, be- the best of the best in, in Asia from the Four Seasons, Southeast Asia. I learned so much from those guys and girls. And, you know, I had like a, a Buddhist nun and I had a descendant of Shiva and just really incredible people. And they were just so happy to be learning a new yeah. lineage. And it's so interesting when other people learn things, it, it, you also learn new things about the thing that you're teaching. Definitely. Yeah, and then cool. you can take it around. I learned how to do a, a, an alignment on the on the navel, which I've done on Norma Jean. You know, yeah. I, I learned some really cool stuff, some Ayurvedic things and things from India. And another thing too is like being a, being a white girl from Outback Australia and going into a community. As I said, I do a lot of work in India and I'm so humbled and gracious and I'm not going in there wearing a bindi and telling them how to, to how to practice yoga. You know, I'm going in there and just saying, what can I learn from you? You know, and yeah. and, and I'm just going to sit there and talk to you and, and and maybe give them some tips to to get through this world because we're all in a crazy world. We're all in a technology. It's called the Aquarian Age. We shifted from the Piscean Age into the Aquarium. So the Piscean Age was very much where people had gurus and ailments that were a little bit like um, chronic fatigue. Remember when everyone went through chronic fatigue syndrome like about 20 years ago or 15 years ago? Now we've shifted it into anxiety and depression. Oh, right. We're okay. in an Aquarian technological age. Oh, that makes sense. So that's why yin yoga is and, and restorative yoga is so, so vital. So, so a restorative pose you can do, my favorite one is feet together, butterfly, and laying down so the knees mm. come out to the side. You're just opening up the sacral area, really good for grounding. Meditation, as we said before. You know, wear a hat, contain your energy. If you're feeling vulnerable... Cover your head with a hat. Wear a, a hat. Wear a hat. Keep that stuff in. Don't let people drain your, your energy. Oh, I like um, that. High vibe food. Kale high vi- is the highest vibrational food. Clean food. Ditch the sugar. 
There's so many options now to substitute that sugar. You get sugar out of your life. It's going to shift and change everything. Really good water. Try not to drink too much alcohol. If, it, if you're going to drink alcohol, make sure it's gin or vodka, something clean that goes through the system quickly. What about wine? Wine's a bad one. I'm sad. I'm so sad. You know why? Try and have kefir for the lower intestine, intestinal gut. Yeah, um, gut health is you really know, important. gut health's really important. It can really make us feel unbalanced. Mm. And just do what you like. If your meditation is free diving or your meditation is coloring books, your meditation is gardening, your meditation is sewing, that's your meditation. Right. Like don't let, let yourself get yeah. into that space. Don't let anybody come in saying, well, no, you need to be in a cave for four hours a day. Like the Dalai Lama is an angry guy. That's why he meditates for four and a half hours. So he doesn't go around murdering people. He has anger management issues. He <laughs> eats meat, everybody. If you need meat to ground or you want to put something in your body that you feel, just do it. Don't listen to all this stuff around you just mm. listen, listen to, to your, your body. body listen to yourself Fantastic. enjoy the ride cool well thanks emily and how do people find you okay so i'm really bad i don't even have a phone but i do have instagram at baby kale yogi yep so her instagram is at baby kale yogi emily mcburney thank you so much yogi spiritual human writer i'm just i'm thank you so much for being on the show thank you All right, little humans, here's today's toast poem. It's an original poem I wrote, um, and I hope you enjoy. Here we go. In the night when I'm alone, there is stillness filled with thought. No words to fill the silence. No one to speak the words to. Sharing your day, lying next to someone, is one of life's greatest pleasures. To be heard, seen, your human experience acknowledged, returned, enjoyed. When we're gone... All that will be left of us are our stories. With no one to hear them, who will be left? If my lips were never kissed, would they be as soft? Would I know what they are capable of? If ice cream never passed through them, could I have imagined all of its complex, sweet bliss? I think not, and I am all the poorer without you. That was Emily McBurney. Thanks again for listening to Stay Wild. We hope that we've given you a bit of inspiration, a bit of insight into yoga, into Emily's journey. Um, you can find her at Baby Kale Yogi on Instagram. Today's podcast was brought to you by me, Norma Jean. I'm coming at you live from the rice fields in Ubud, Bali. I'm a singer, songwriter, cartoonist, and you can see all of my art at njloves.com. And if you like us, please subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show and write us a review if you like what, what you're hearing, what's happening and we'd love to hear from you and until then stay wild so we keep on keeping on